0: If you would open your Bible with me to Psalm 23, if you have a Bible with you, that's just an ordinary rhythm that we do together at Faith Church. We open up our Bibles and we look to the Lord and what he said. He gives us the food we need for today and for this week in his word. And so that's where we turn together. Psalm 23, we've been looking at the Psalms, which are the shared playlist of God's people. They're the the hymnal of Israel. And so this is where we've been turning now for a, a month or so learning to sing with God's people, learning to let our hearts be formed in the way that God's people throughout the ages have been formed by his word as they sing it. And as I come to Psalm 23, it's just a special privilege as a pastor to open this particular psalm because it's been such a blessing to so many and to me in every stage of life from beginning to end. This psalm, perhaps more than any other, captures the whole of the Christian life and what it is to be in relationship with God. And so that's what we're gonna think about today. How should we relate to God? That's what we find in Psalm 23. As we go there, I think of uh, the stories of Narnia, uh, as I often do. One of the privileges of being a parent is that I get to read with my children. And Eden is, is five now, and so I've started reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with her. And the most exciting character that you get to meet in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is Aslan. He's the great golden lion who's the king of Narnia, the one through whom it was created, and the one through whom it was redeemed. He laid down his life to save Narnia from the evil curse of the wicked witch. And he overcame her. And he established a new period of peace in Narnia. And if you were alive in those days, in the days of Narnia, you would have known of the stories of Aslan and the children, the Pevensey children, Susan and Peter and Edmund and Lucy. And all of these stories would have been alive to you. But as the generations went by, those stories were increasingly forgotten, and there were only little snippets of sayings from Aslan and others that that were kept sort of like the the passed-down scriptures of Narnia. And that that distance in time and the lack of knowledge of Aslan became an opportunity for predatory leaders to come in and misrepresent Aslan and take power in his name, and that's exactly what happened. In the last book, in the last battle, we find shift the ape. And an opportunity arises when a lion skin comes floating down a stream. And someone, uh, someone a hunter perhaps, has, has shot a lion, probably not a talking lion like there are in Narnia, but perhaps just an ordinary lion. But he finds the skin there, and his friend, who was really not his friend, just someone he took advantage of, a donkey named Puzzle, A sweet soul who is just a little bit simple and a little too trusting of his friend, Shift the ape. Well, Shift makes him get in the water. He nearly drowns trying to get the skin out. He gets the skin out, and then Shift makes him put it on. Because what an opportunity is before him. He can dress up Puzzle like Aslan. Now, when he does it, he looks pretty silly in the daylight. He's a donkey dressed as a lion. He looks dumb. But... At night, with some firelight and some theatrics, he can look like the real thing. And with shift speaking in his name, people are afraid and they're dismayed because suddenly Aslan is telling them things that they never thought Aslan would have before. He's telling them to cut down the talking trees, which Aslan said never to cut down. He's telling them to enslave the less powerful among them and send them to a country to the south so that they could profit on their backs, Shift making the most profit. And they think, "What didn't Aslan say never to enslave anyone, let alone our own people? Has Aslan changed? What's happened? And Shift increasingly became powerful. Meanwhile, there was a a king who was the, the human king who represented Aslan in Narnia, Tyrion, He finds out what's happening. He's enraged, infuriated, but he comes and says, this would never be the will of Aslan. And so you have one person saying, this is the will of Aslan. Another person saying, this is the will of Aslan. And they don't know who to listen to. They're confused. Some are just completely disillusioned. The dwarves, they leave the Narnians all behind. They don't want anything to do with them. The dwarves are for dwarves. We've had it with you people. And your promises your tales of Aslan, forget about it. As you read The Last Battle, which is a book written about 70 years ago now, it seems increasingly relevant today when the people of God too often are given representations of Jesus that are false. And people prey upon God's people. And in the name of Jesus, will live falsely, proclaim falsehood, abuse, pray on the backs of the church for their own profit and their own pedestal. And the church is left wondering, wait, has Jesus changed? <laughs> What's happened? And then so many are disillusioned and leave the church altogether. We want nothing to do with this. Just forget about you people and you're Jesus. Some of you have experienced this yourselves. Well, David gave a Psalm to God's people as as, as a gift, a gift to sing of a shepherd, a good shepherd king. After all, that's what Aslan was to his people, and that's what God is to his people. And in this Psalm, he's mentoring us in this primary way that we relate to God. It's as sheep as sheep to a shepherd. Now, David himself, he was a king and he was expected to shepherd his people. He was an under-shepherd. In Psalm 78, it says that God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. He was a shepherd and it was his job to represent and point to the good shepherd, to the great shepherd, Yahweh. And that's why he gives them this psalm. With upright heart, David shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. We know he did a very imperfect job, but earnestly he sought to represent God's rule. But when we see so much misuse of the name of God and we live in a world where we hear one shepherd say thus and one shepherd say thus, what do we do as sheep? Where do we go? Many of our neighbors, uh, when we think about uh, this reality of life under, under a king, under a shepherd king, uh, many of our neighbors, we just don't like that. We just celebrated Independence Day. And so we, we, we're thinking, down with King George and keep your bland food on your own side of the pond. Right? We don't want a king to tell us what to do. Because we're Americans. And we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, we, we sing, Eye of the Tiger, man. Fly like an eagle. We can do it. Right? This is the kind of stuff that mentors us. But the, the primary songs probably that we're mentored by from the culture are not things like, I am Jesus, little lamb. That's not what we listen to to fire us up at halftime and we're down by seven points. And yet... This is the song of God's people to help them to walk with him through life. We don't like kings, for one, and many of our neighbors would view this way of looking at life as needing a shepherd, and the Lord being that shepherd, they would see it as a crutch. I don't need a crutch. I don't need that. Have you ever talked about a neighbor with uh, just earnestness, You're, you're trying to share your faith, and someone just says, I don't need that. You know, good for you, but I don't need that. I don't need a crutch. When a neighbor says something like this to me, I I, I gently press back and I say something like, oh, I think if we're honest with each other, we all need a crutch. I don't know what yours is, but I think the question is whether our crutch is good, whether it's true, whether it will last whether it will get us where we need to go. And the Lord is our shepherd who will bring us through. But as sheep, we, we, we really struggle with this sheep thing, particularly in the American church. Uh, we have folks who, in their folly, will sort of dress themselves up as lions. I, I see the stuff people share on social media. You know, they, they talk about, like, uh, all of those sheep out there, but we're the lions, a picture of a predator. That's not the metaphor the scriptures give us for our relationship to God and to his world. We're not the lions, we're sheep. We're sheep. And so in our folly we dress up as lions and it looks dumb. But the worst thing is that people that dress up as lions, they look bold, daring. We feel like we should follow them and they become leaders in the church and they wind up misrepresenting the good shepherd, Jesus, who laid down his life for the sheep. Psalm 49, 14 says of these kinds of shepherds, like sheep they are appointed for Sheol and death shall be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, but for those who will reject his shepherding, even misrepresenting his shepherding. This is a warning. We struggle with the sheep thing, but how are we supposed to relate to God? Psalm 23 is forming us in realizing we relate as utterly dependent sheep to a shepherd. This is how we relate. We're gonna pray and then we'll we'll dig in together. Father, I, I just pray that you would help us to see the good news that you are our shepherd and that we are sheep we can't even turn ourselves upright when we fall over. And yet, Lord, you are gracious to provide every step, every grace we need. So I pray you'd give us grace we need for today and for this week. Come and shepherd us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we relate to God as our shepherd. We relate as utterly dependent sheep. First of all, Uh, Just an outline so you know where we're going. First of all, we depend upon our shepherd's provision. We see that in uh, the first three verses. And then we depend on our shepherd's protection. We see that in verses three to five. Uh, Then we depend on our shepherd's promises in in verse six. So first of all, we depend on our shepherd's provision. Imagine if you woke up and it's in the morning, you're in your bed and you roll out of bed and you just tumble over, fall on your back, because you're a sheep. And you wake up a sheep, furry all over. You can't even get up. Like, I don't even know if I can walk down the stairs. I definitely can't open the fridge. You know, you're a sheep. What do you do, what is your hope if you're a sheep? Your hope is that someone who is good will come along and care for you. Your hope is for a shepherd. You need a shepherd. And the good news of the Christian life is that we have a shepherd in Jesus, a good one. That's what we find. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is the song of God's people. Yahweh, the true and living God, is my shepherd. And so I have everything I need, I shall not want, in every season, and Christians sing this way as well. Jesus gave us the promise in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have everything, not because they're wealthy in worldly standards, not because they're powerful, not because they're like lions who take what's theirs, but because the Lord in all of his wealth and riches came to earth to give all things to his people to give the blessing of heaven in Jesus. And this is why we can sing Psalm 23. It's because of the good shepherd. We sang about that or we, we, we spoke of that in, in John 10 earlier. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Everyone in this world is trying to figure out who to follow, is trying to figure out what way of life to walk in. We all need a crutch and we're trying to figure out which one will last and which one is good. Why listen to Jesus? Why follow his voice? Because he loved you, he laid down his life. Every other shepherd, they'll serve you so long as it's profitable. Right. So long as you'll give them a following on TikTok and Twitter and like their stuff and build up their platform and promote them. But Jesus, when the flock came around him to trample him, he continued to love them. God proved his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, our shepherd, this is what he's like. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of human beings and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how low Jesus would go to save you our servant king, our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And I want you to note that those are feisty words. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus was surrounded in his day by folks who were supposed to be shepherding God's flock, but they were heavy on them. They would heap burdens on them, but they wouldn't lift a finger to help them. There were people before Jesus, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23. There were false shepherds offering false promises, even praying on God's people. It's nothing new when you see that stuff in the news. It's, sadly, it's part of human history, using religion and God words to make profit in this world. But Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. And so when you're confused... And you have someone saying, this is how you should relate in the world. And they're giving you your social media meme about how you need to be a lion and take what's yours. And then you hear from the scriptures that you're a sheep. (laughs) And another shepherd says, you're Jesus' little lamb. Which shepherd do you listen to? How do you know which one? You have to learn to be attuned to the voice of Jesus and to the pattern of Jesus's own character and ministry. The sheep need to be looking to their true shepherd. If you would discern which voice to look to, is, is, is that voice in the culture, is that voice opening up the scriptures and pointing to your shepherd from the scriptures? That's a first clue. They may stand up and hold up a Bible, but are they actually pointing to the King, to Jesus, to your shepherd and feeding you with that? Secondly, do you see the character of Jesus in the pursuit of that shepherd's life? Imperfectly, believe me, that's the best we can do. But are they even on the same path? Are they playing the same game, you know? Are they on the same ball field? (laughs) Some of us, as sheep, particularly in the modern West where Technology enables us to worship remotely. COVID made that a bit of a necessity for a season, but it's become a bit of a a habit. And even before that time, many of us had started to listen to voices from uh, large pulpits in our culture, political and church pulpits. And these folks are our voices that we listen to regularly. We go and, and we let them shepherd us. And one thing that we know about Jesus is he knew his flock. He came to be with them. He wasn't separate from them on a pedestal. He wasn't just looking for their likes. He was known and present. And the Lord is a shepherd who is with us. So I would just caution you We have much to gain from so many wonderful voices. But one of the dangers that we've created in our society that has propped up false shepherds is sheep have supported shepherds they don't know. And so they're unaccountable to the sheep. They're not known. And sadly, we see so many terrible stories because we have valued the things of consumerism and butts and seats and large budgets, rather than valuing the faithfulness the Lord is trying to work into his people. And so, as you consider what shepherd to listen to, as you learn to relate to Jesus, who should shape your way of relating? It, I would only listen to a shepherd who is speaking the very words of Jesus to you in Jesus' way. And it's wonderful how the Lord shepherds us so personally. We see his provision. We depend on our shepherd's provision. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Note the next, the next couple verses there. He makes me lie down. He makes me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What did you do in that process? The Lord, in his grace... He made you lie down because you didn't know when to lie down like a, like a tantruming child at 8.30 at night and you don't know you're tired. I'm not tired. The Lord made you lay down and he would lead you to know what true rest is. It's not Netflix and a bag of chips, right? Even here, we experience true rest. Getting up on a Sunday morning, hearing from his word and promise. He leads us beside still waters, waters of rest in the original language. He restores our soul. This is what the Lord does. He provides for his people good food, the stuff we need. It's not just hot dogs and candy, the stuff that we think we want. He gives us the food that's needful for us. The Lord Jesus, he says, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the good shepherd feeds us what we need to live. He leads us to drink from his living water. He provides, so we trust and depend in his provision. Secondly, though, we need more than just daily provision because we live in a world that's hostile to following God. And so the Lord protects us. And not only is the world hostile, but we can be hostile to following God because we wanna do what we wanna do when we wanna do it, right? And so, it is grace to us that the Good Shepherd protects us, both in giving us uh, preemptive commands before the fact of our sin. He tells us where the ravines are so that we don't walk off to to our death, and He's also present with us to protect us. So, first of all, he, He gives us proactive commands to us. Uh, Torah. He makes us walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, The main way in which the Lord makes his sheep walk in the right path is he tells them the right path. And this is what we find in scripture, that if you walk in the Lord's ways, you'll find blessing. That's what Psalm 1 said, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night, right? Joshua would have good success if he kept his mind fixed on that law and walked in it all his days. So the the principle is basically this. If, If you live God's way in God's world, you'll get God's best ordinarily. Ordinarily, you live God's way in God's world, you'll get God's best. He makes us walk in paths of righteousness and so as you live your life as you learn to open up the scriptures you'll find that his ways are good as we celebrated in Psalm 19 but there are times when even the people who are earnestly seeking God's path will have evil befall them a person was telling me about uh, the fact that they're reading Job and Job experiences a man who was seeking earnestly to follow God had evil come upon him he entered the valley of the death shadow And when you're there in a time of peril and everything seems to be falling apart, the Lord is still shepherding you. He is still with you. And in his presence, he protects you. What does it say in in verse four? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's confidence. Why is there confidence? Because I'm a lion and I'm strong. No. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Imagine walking up 34 into the canyon up there. If you've been there before, imagine at nighttime you're there. If you're driving on a car, you have all these reflectors and all these things to help you. But imagine walking there, just walking through the canyon itself in the dark of night. It is dark, it's blackness. And you're walking with your little flashlight. And as you walk along, in and out of the flashlight, on the edges, you'll see the little creepy crawlies coming and going. And you'll hear a sound. Is it a bear? Are those wolves? Not a mountain lion. And naturally, you could be afraid, right? It'd be natural to turn back if you could. But right there, this is the picture Being in a dark, dark place, you don't know how you're gonna get out and all the danger surrounds. Imagine having confidence. This is what the Lord has for his flock because he's with us. And in the Psalms, the Psalms train us to do something. They train us to be still and know that the Lord is God, Psalm 46. Be still and know in that moment. Think about who the Lord is who's with you and think about those enemies. He is far more fearful (laughs) far more mighty. He opens his mouth, utters his voice, and the earth melts. Psalm 46 teaches us. And he is the one who's with us. Nothing can stand against us if he's with us. And these words are comforting to us as sheep, but in his grace he's given us even more than words, not less. He's given us tangible signs of his presence. The metaphor changes in verse 5. We go from being sheep walking in the sheepfold to entering into the house in the kitchen of the king. And we find lavish provision there. Even still, when we're surrounded by danger, we find lavish provision in signs of grace. First of all, I want us to just think about the fact that we're here at this moment as the sheep of Jesus and you're walking into his kitchen. How did you ever get into that flock that led you there? What was the gateway? What was the sheep shoot where you began? So the people of God, they were branded. Israel was branded, they were branded sheeps. They were marked off as belonging to God in circumcision. In the New Testament, we find a new mark And it's baptism. We say, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The Lord Jesus remarkably takes up that promise. In Matthew 28, 20, after he's given a great commission to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all he have commanded you. And he says, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you're baptized, you are sealed with the promise of God's presence, he is with you, dear one. He'll never leave or forsake you. This is a reminder you can go back to and tangibly remember the Lord has promised, I'm with you. And I encourage you, as as, as we think about baptism together as a family here at Faith Church, it's, it's just a sign. It doesn't save you in and of itself, but it's a gracious sign that tells you the Lord will be with you. And it brings you into the fold, the sheepfold. It's that first step. And if you haven't taken that first step, if you're a Christian who trusts in Jesus and you have not been baptized, I've said this once before, it's like a zebra with no stripes, guys. Come on, let's take that first step. Let's follow Jesus into his sheepfold. Let's walk with his people together. Because it's, it's then It's amidst this people, amidst this flock who sing, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's it's, it's in that people marked off that we get to enjoy these promises in the way they were originally given as a song we sing together. And so we have that first sign, baptism. We have a second sign that's spoken of in the text. There's a table, there's a table fellowship that God's people get to enjoy with God, which is striking and profound. In the ancient Near East, to, to share at table with somebody was, is something that forms a bond. And particularly if a king, if a superior opens up his table to you, they're forming a bond with you. And the Lord has done this with his people as he did with his people in Exodus 24. Hi, Eric. It's good to see you, brother. The Lord forms a bond with his people, at table. And, and there in Exodus 24, it says that Moses and the elders of Israel, they go up the mountain and they sit and dine with God. And God forms a covenant with them. He commits to them. That table was like a, a commitment of his, uh, of his uh, pledge to love them. He'd be with them. He would lavish them with love even in the midst of enemies. And they would remember this kind of a moment as you would sing you prepare a table before me. And we have a table that's been set by our Lord, a sign he has invited us to his table to know his love in every season. We do this once a month as a a church and on some special Sundays around holidays. And I want you to know what a pleasure and privilege it is as as the flock of God, as the redeemed people of Christ to come at his table and to have him say, I love you again and again again. And again, and I'll never stop loving you. And not only does he say it like a husband should say it to his wife, but he demonstrates it with a hug, a felt, smelt, sensed promise. And this is a gift to us, even in the presence of all the enemies and the trouble of life. He tells us he loves us. We need this as his sheep and as his people. And he anoints our head with oil so that our cup overflows. In the New Testament, in James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus, James, he commands the elders, the under-shepherds, to shepherd God's people in the way the Lord shepherds his people, to anoint their heads with oil when they're sick. And he says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord promises to raise them up on the last day. And I've, even, I've had the privilege of already ministering in this way among you, when folks have been sick going and this incredible encouragement of the nearness and goodness and sweetness of God that we experience in the, in the sensing of the oil, hearing those prayers prayed over us, even hearing Psalm 23 recited. It's a privilege to be in the sheepfold where these are the rhythms of grace that remind us the Lord is with us. We have nothing to fear. And something amazing happens among the sheep is this doesn't just become shepherd-directed stuff. The sheep become reflections of the shepherd. They become imbued with his character themselves. And I've seen this among you already, and what a blessing it is. When folks are having tough times, folks bringing hospitality, food, presents, service into other people's homes in moments of need, bringing a meal after loss, just being around, being present in the midst of loneliness. The sheep start to reflect their shepherd and this is the way we are at church. And it's such a privilege to be a part of it. And Psalm 23 is celebrating that with us. In fact, the promise where it all ends up is in the house of the Lord. (laughs) The promise that we look to that we depend upon from the shepherd is that we can be in the house of the Lord forever. What does it say? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now we look at that through uh, 21st century eyes and through New Testament eyes, but think about that through uh, Israelite eyes. The house of the Lord was the place where the Lord met his people, where the ark was present. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Lord had, had given his people his presence in their midst from that ark. And when they gathered around there, they knew the Lord was with them and he inhabited their praises and he spoke to them through his word and the ministry of the priests. But we know today that in Christ, the, the, the house is not just a place, the Lord's presence, is, presence certainly isn't confined to a box. But he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. And so now the Lord, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, our Lord is building us up like living stones built together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come to the house of the Lord, We come in the midst of Christians, and it's here where we know those promises and we hear those promises. The goodness and the mercy of God will chase us down all the days of our life. That's where we sing about this together, is in the house of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord that never quits, we learn of it together. This is the way the Lord has shepherded us. These are the shoots that he built for us to walk in as his sheep. And David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From his vantage, in the original Hebrew, it says for length of days. His hope is to go back and keep worshiping God again and again and again for the length of his days. But we know now from this side of the cross and resurrection that that day of David's life will will roll into the one eternal day that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we say, we'll dwell in his house forever. And we will, we, we rest in that promise, we're anchored in that promise, especially as we encourage one another in it. And I want to conclude by encouraging you and challenging you, reminding you that our hope is to be in the house of the Lord with fellow Christians forever. So I'm saying, are you saying pastor that I should actually wanna be around other Christians? I should want to be a part of church community? Yes. This is good for us. In the last battle, uh, the Narnians, they, they band together under King Tyrion to try to overthrow the Calormenes who are trying to enslave them. And they're losing. And they're dying, dropping. And it's everywhere you turn, tragedy and tears and blood and death. The dwarves, they, they won't take any side. They just defend themselves, even killing some of the Narnians in the process. They won't have anything to do with the Narnians. But as the battle seems to be coming to the wrong ending, they find themselves waking up in a field of green, in a world that seems new, and they start to see one another. I saw him fall, but he's here with me. And I saw Jewel the unicorn die, but here he is. And the talking horses who were mowed down with arrows, there they are. And all of the kings of the past here with us together. And here comes Aslan into our midst, all golden and perfect and good and true and delightful. And he's leading us, and we're running whole, full. Our bodies were broken, and now we're running after Aslan, breathing in new air like we've never breathed before, running up waterfalls, enjoying a life like we never could have imagined in the house of Aslan. And it's gonna go on forever, but the dwarves, in Lewis's imagination, they were there. And they're in this place, in this new, green, beautiful world, the new Narnia, but they have their eyes closed. And they say, we won't be taken in. Don't listen to them. Don't even look at them. The dwarves are for dwarves. And they just won't open their eyes to see the blessing that's before them. And they miss out. Now this is a story. But I know that there are folks who might be like the dwarves among you. Folks who have been hurt by church people. You've been hurt by God talkers opening up the Bible, people who shepherded in Jesus' name and showed something so different from Jesus. And you said, I've had it with those church people. I want nothing to do with them. And so you would close your eyes if there was ever a hint that that the goodness of God could be known among his people, that there could be goodness in the church, that there could be goodness in the path of the shepherd that he's laid out for his people in the scriptures you'd say, oh, forget about it. I I won't even listen to that. I'm for myself. I don't want anything to do with those people anymore. But you're gonna miss out. You're gonna miss out. If that's you, you're watching online and you've been watching online and not coming because you can't stand these church people because they're sinners like you. There's hope for you and there's grace for you if you take a step of risk back into community. And this is what I invite you to continue to do. Yes, offices like mine, like the pastorate, can be abused. Yes, churches can lose their way. But we keep turning back to Jesus and his voice. And so many of you are not like dwarves. You're here. but you're like the animals that have been beleaguered and you've been under shepherds who have abused that place. You've been dealt with wrongfully at times. You've seen images in the culture, shepherds that you've looked to and read and bought their t-shirt and they have run astray and led you astray and you're wondering what to do now. You're still picking up pieces. I just encourage you to keep looking to Jesus together. Keep banding together. Hearing his voice together. And you can say together, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Don't forget his way with his sheep. He lays down his life. He comes with you in every season. He'll never abandon you. His goodness and mercy will chase you all your days and he'll bring you home. So stick together and look to Jesus. That's how we relate to God. We depend on him as sheep. We depend on his provision. We depend on his protection. We depend in, on his promises. Father, thank you that you've given us sheep a hope. You've given us a path. You've given us food. You've given all we need. So help us, Lord, to take hold of these. And in your grace, we pray you'd make good on your promises, Lord. We trust you to do that because you're faithful. Though all this world could be a lie, you have proven true. And we thank you for this, Lord Jesus. You're a good good shepherd, and we praise you for it. Amen. Amen.